Well, hello there. It is good to see you again, and welcome back to Advance Your Wealth with Homer Smith. I am your moderator, Ryan Ruff. It's good to be back with everyone today, and as always, of course, I'm joined by Private Wealth Advisor Homer Smith, and we're going to be diving into another wealth management-related discussion as we do on the show today. And today, we have a sole focus of identifying kind of a market update, if you will, to look back at what happened in June, what were some of the trends that we experienced throughout market fluctuation in June, and then, of course, uh, you know what we can expect for the near future moving forward. Forward. Uh, you know, we'll dive into Homer and his thoughts on things as well. But we have a special guest that's going to be joining us on the podcast here today, and that's Mr. Joseph Sakura. Joseph, you know, uh, working with Aptis Capital Advisors, we've had some of their team on the podcast here in the past. But Joseph, you know, working in equity, he's an equity analyst. He works on portfolio reviews over there. So Joseph's going to share his feedback on, you know, again what we saw in June from a market standpoint, and then what we can expect moving forward. But before we bring Joseph on and get into kind of the nitty gritty of today's discussion, let's go. Go ahead and say hi to the man of the hour. Homer, good to see you today. How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Good to see you as always. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it was an eventful June. A lot going on. Uh, before we dive into, you know, the, the really the fine details of everything that you guys saw and what you're looking at in the future now, uh, give me your two cents on June. And then, of course, you know, obviously we've got Joseph Sakura joining us. Uh, Sakura, that is, uh, joining us from Aptis Capital Advisors. Uh, you know, sh- shed some light on on how you and your relationship started with Joseph and why you felt you wanted to have him on the show today. Yeah, no, um June was an interesting month um, where we saw you know, pretty significant moves up in the market, um, pretty much all indices um, on the rise and probably much higher than we had anticipated. Um, and so I'm definitely interested to have Joseph on and, and get their background and inform, you know, ideas on, on what they saw, why they saw um, that come together. You know, but it's been not only a great June for the markets, but it's been a really good first half of the year. Um, so far for for the stock market, very different from what we experienced last year, um, where we saw pretty significant negative returns, both in stocks and bonds. And this year, a pretty significant recovery, although um, in speaking with Joseph recently, it was interesting to see even with the significant returns we've seen so far this year that when you incorporate the returns from last year as well, you know, most of the in major indices in the U.S. are still negative um, over the last 18 months. Um, and so, you know, being able to protect your capital and to protect compound returns is, is really what we're all about and how we design portfolios with, you know, definitely we want the offense on the field to be able to capture the upside of the markets. Uh, but we also want to make sure that the defense is there. And I think there's some good reason to, to make sure that even though everything seems calm, markets are just going up. Um, and there's probably a lot of good reasons for that. And, and we'll ask Joseph about that as well. But I also think there's a lot of reasons why things might uh, be changing in the near future and, and why we need to have that defense in place. So looking forward to the discussion today, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. A lot to dig into. So with that, let's go ahead and bring uh, Joseph out here. Joseph, good to see you today. Welcome to Advance Your Wealth. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure to join you guys today. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Well, Joseph, I, I, you know, I think the best place to start is the present. You know, why don't you let us know uh, your thoughts currently on on where you're seeing the market stand? And obviously, we can look. We're going to look back in time, of course, at June, and then we're going to look a little forward in time. But give me, uh, give me your overall impressions to to get us started here. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you can say we're halfway through the year, and most people were caught, I think, off guard a little bit. A lot of people came into 2023, uh, sort of a continuation of 2022, pretty bearishly positioned, and the market's done nothing but go straight up. Uh, For the first several months of the year, it was led almost entirely by about 
seven, 10 names, kind of pick your number, but basically the mega cap, mainly tech centric, uh, large quality companies that were uh, really just ripping higher. And then in June, you finally saw a little bit of widening out of breadth, uh, as we say. So one example of that is that the S&P 600, um, which is the small cap index, actually outperformed the uh, S&P 500, the large cap index, by a couple points on the on the month. So if you are wanting to see a continuation of a bull market, uh, then you want to see things like that. You want to see it, it widen out. And that's what we saw in June. So besides that, you know, what else did you guys see in June um, from a you know, technical or analytical standpoint in terms of what was driving the markets in general and and, uh, you know, what you know, what what is it that is, you know, again, creating this, you know, maybe unexpected move up um, in the market so far this year? Yeah. So the kind of bear case coming in the year was really really put on uh, economic macro kind of centric data. So I think a lot of macro economists out there and a lot of equity analysts were expecting to see the macro environment continuing to deteriorate in 2023. And that really just hasn't been the case. There are certainly pockets that are looking pretty weak. Like if you look at ISM manufacturing, it's been in contraction territory uh, for, I, I believe, all of the year. And certainly lately, it's uh, well below 50, which is kind of the marker for an expansion and contraction. But if you look at the U.S. consumer, uh, which fuels GDP and ultimately um, the stock market, uh, it's the consumer's been very strong. Uh, I think we can get into some of these numbers uh, if we'd like to. But the overarching kind of summary is that the consumer still has a lot of pent-up savings and uh, high net worth coming out of uh, the stimulus that happened in COVID. And then on top of that, the job, mar job market has been exceptionally resilient. So the unemployment rate will get an updated reading tomorrow, uh, but it's 3.7% right now. Um, and just this morning, you had the ADP private payroll survey come in more than double expectations. And you see the market reaction on that has become uh, again, a focus on what's the Fed going to do with interest rates, where kind of a good news is bad news type of situation. Yeah. But that picture has been really robust year to date. Yeah. So we're recording this uh, for those of you watching this on Thursday, July 6th. So to Joseph's point, we just got the jobs data this morning. And as positive as that news is, we've, we've seen market reacting negatively today. Um, good news, bad news, to your point, is likely means Fed is higher for longer. So, you know, one of the things we spoke about recently was as the market was going up for most of the last decade, as the Fed was lowering rates pretty consistently, there's this constant idea of don't fight the Fed. You know, so while there might have been other economic data points previously that pointed to challenging times ahead, if the Fed was being accommodated, that was just kind of the mantra, you can't fight the Fed. Um, the flip side, you know, the, the Fed has, has been pretty blatant in saying they're going to keep rates higher for longer, if not even continue to raise them. Um, but that same attitude doesn't seem to be the case right now in terms of uh, not fighting the Fed. You know, what's your what are your thoughts on that? Where, you know, similar, different? What, what, what are you seeing related to the risk now, I guess, of, of this economic data staying stronger than people expected? The Fed needing in their minds, for, especially from an economic or from a employment standpoint, needing to keep rates higher. What's what's the risk of this? And at some point, is that don't fight the Fed going to come back um, you know, to fruition again on, on the other side of this? Yeah, so the Fed has been kind of laser focused on, I would say, generally speaking, two 
data points. So core inflation, so stripping out some of the more volatile points like energy and, and food. And then they've been looking at employment because as bleak as it sounds, as long as employment is strong, it's really hard to get inflation down. If people are being able to replenish their bank accounts that they've drawn down from COVID and continue to spend like they are, then, then companies have pricing power and continue to push pricing higher and it becomes a, a cycle. And that's what happened sort of in the 70s when the Fed's trying to sort of eliminate this time. So they're looking at those two data points. And what they're seeing right now is a situation that's still really strong. So every time the Fed comes out and says, we expect to push rates higher, the market fades that and doesn't believe it. And then over the course of six weeks or whatever it takes to get to the next meeting, the market expectations inch back up to where the Fed said they were going to be, even though the Fed's been behind their own forecast and forecasting where they're going to have to end up. So after the June meeting where the Fed did not hike, they said, we expect to hike two more times this year. That was not priced into Fed futures at the time. And as I look at it this morning, uh, a hike for the July meeting here in about three weeks is, is all but certain. And then another hike uh, for some time in the duration of the year is, is now priced into futures as well. So um, until we get clear signs that inflation really is broken, it almost seems like they're going to stay out at this point, try to stay out in front of things to make sure they don't have an error on the side of inflation get away. They've done a pretty good job so far. Uh, time, time will tell, but the stickiness of the core component of, of, of inflation is, is still there. So they still have work to do, so to say. Yeah. So given where we're at, you know, again, halfway through the year, just over it now, um, kind of want to break down the rest of the call today and, and kind of two different themes. One, you know, what is the bull case? Why will, why could this, you know, great start to the year and one of the best years ever to start the year for the, for the tech index NASDAQ, why will this continue? Um, and what are the signs pointing to that being likely more likely? And then what are the, what are the other side of this? What's the bear case of, Hey, maybe the market's got a little bit out of the head of itself and, and per perhaps there's, there's trouble ahead. Um, so let's start with the bull case. What are the, what are some of the data points and uh, that you're seeing? And you can either pull up on the screen or we can add it in later. Um, but what are, what are you seeing right now out there that is pointing to all signs go, you know, market's not done. We've got a lot of room to the upside from here. Yeah. Yeah. We'll start with the, the happy side, the, the bull case. And like you said, uh, NASDAQ, um, best first half of the year since 1983. It was up nearly 40%, uh, even better than 1999, which nearly doubled on the year. So we'll see if we have that type of second half. But the first half was was truly exceptional. And I touched on this earlier in the call, but I think you can really summarize the, the bull case almost entirely by talking about the, the consumer. So one thing that's pretty rare, if we look back to 1990, is to see year-over-year -year negative change in household net worth. And we actually saw that if you look at the first quarter of 2023 versus first quarter of 2022, negative 2.4% um, year-over-year. So that, that seems like that'd be a negative point. However, if you look at the first quarter of 23 versus three years prior, the first quarter of uh, 2020, household net worth is up 35%. So there is this big pent up um, savings, this excess savings that consumers have that they continue to draw down to the tune of increasing 
spending by uh, three to four percent annualized, more than you would typically see given the employment environment that we're in right now. So really just a big tailwind to to spending, which is fueling GDP and then also the, the stock market. Companies are able to continue to pre, uh, press through price increases because consumers have the ability to pay for it. And kind of as a corollary to that, we touched on it again, but employment picture. Um, there are currently, uh, according to the JOLT survey, 9.8 million job openings versus about 6.7, uh, somewhere in that range, uh, unemployed people right now. So. 1.4, 1.5, actually greater than that, uh, jobs open for every person looking for a job. Now that's theoretical, obviously, and that's not a, a perfect match. But point being is that the employment picture is is really strong. People have jobs on top of XX savings. Uh, so they've got the ability to, to keep spending. Um, yep. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be your best bull case out there. And that's, I think, what a lot of people have missed uh, coming out of October and November, where the market was so depressed that I think they under underappreciated the fact that the consumer can kind of keep this going for a while. Yeah, and so I, in terms of data points, it, it sounds a lot potentially like the 70s, where we had relatively higher inflation, or at least bouts of higher inflation, but nominal GDP growth and wage growth was really strong. And so while um, all that was happening, the stock market was pretty volatile ups and downs along the way. And it wasn't just a straight up because of that. So what's the, what's the, the, the bear case? What are the risks that are out there in spite of a strong consumer? What are, what are some of the things you guys are seeing that still give you some pause and say, Hey, yeah, there might be some, some support to this market from a spending standpoint, but there's some data points that are starting to, to pop in that, that might again, feel the other side of this and the risks that are out there in the market. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. And I would argue that the bear case, um, there's a lot more points for it, but they're probably not quite as strong as the, the bull case right now. The bull case in consumer spending is just undeniable and it has a direct correlation with what we're seeing in the market. The bear case, we can spend all day talking about the points on that, but I think they're a little bit more anecdotal um, and they just frankly haven't really mattered year to date. So um, first would be that it a lot of them really go back to kind of the theme of margin of uh, margin of safety. So, you know, Warren Buffett, the great investor, talks about investing with some sort of margin of safety, which means that if what you expect doesn't go right, are you at least paying a price that buffers you somewhat from that? And back in October, when the market bottomed, um, we were trading at Ford uh, 15 times on S&P 500. Now we're at 20 times uh, Ford, Ford uh, earnings. Um, so, not exactly blow away numbers compared to the last decade, but we also have a real 10 year rate, which is the 10 year um, treasury rate adjusted for inflation expectations. It's at roughly 1.8% right now, which is the highest number going back to 2008. So you talk about 15 years where we now have a higher discount rate when you think about inflation adjusted rate than we have in the last 15 years. So maybe 20 times is an outlandish for, for the last decade or so that we've seen as far as an equity market multiple, especially when you have themes like AI or whatever the case may be that's pushing markets higher. But we're doing it against a backdrop of real interest rates that are, are pretty punitive. And anytime you have a discount rate that is in that area, you have to think about opportunity costs. Am I going to put a dollar in the equity market or am I going to do it in something that has virtually no risk and is earning me a, a, a positive return at this point? So 
if you looked at a year like 2022, um, as real interest rates went higher, the stock market went lower and that correlation was extremely tight. And in 2023, that's totally broken. So you've seen the equity markets grind higher completely on the back of uh, equity uh, multiple expansion, not on the back of earnings getting getting higher at all. Um, and they've done that in the face of uh, uh, real interest rates uh, continuing to, to increase. In fact, today, after the job report that we got, we hit that new high that we haven't seen since since 2008. We broke, broke the previous um, uh, real interest rate high that we saw uh, earlier in the year and, and last year as well. So I think that's a point that we're looking at that at some point that probably has to matter. And the second I'll touch on quickly is that, again, somewhat anecdotal, but something that propelled the market year to date that's now been pulled out has been some of the liquidity drivers. Um, so if you've heard about quantitative easing over the last decade, it's where the Fed's buying bonds in order to pump liquidity in the market. Well, now they're doing the opposite. They have a balance sheet of bonds that they're letting roll off. These maturities roll off over time to the tune of 80 to $90 billion a month, which is, which is the opposite of adding liquidity. It's actually taking liquidity out of the system. Well, that's the plan in order to increase tightening in, in the Fed's uh, efforts to fight inflation. However, Year to date, the uh, fiscal authorities through the Treasury General account were actually adding liquidity to the system by pay uh, by spending down that account to, to near zero. And they were doing that because we had this big debt ceiling debate going on. They couldn't issue new debt and they were having to basically spend down your bank account before, you know, mom and dad give you another check or whatever, replenish it. Well, that was all that liquidity being put in the system was directly fighting what the, the Fed was doing. So now the debt limit has been extended uh, in early June. Uh, Treasury has been issuing uh, more bills, more bonds, and that is in turn pulling liquidity out of the system and giving some more potency to what the, the Fed is doing. So this is not necessarily meaningful at all in terms of what's going to happen in the equity markets. But again, it's a, it is a, tailwind that we saw in the first half of the year that's now been turned into a headwind. Is it enough to make the market go down? I guess we'll see, but you add up enough of these little small data points, um, again, that we could kind of go on and we don't have time on. It says at some point, if things start to not go so well, then you have these headwinds in place that act as more selling pressure than maybe otherwise you would expect. So as strong as the consumer has been, and I definitely understand the fiscal side, and there's still programs out there like the ERTC for for business owners that's still providing, you know, some of the numbers I've seen, something like 20 billion a month is coming into um, the pockets of business owners around the country. Um, what are some of the, the concerns maybe later this year on the debt side um, or consumer side? And I know um, there's been some rulings lately around student loan payments, and there's rollovers of of corporate debt and, and real estate debt coming later this year. From your guys' point of view, how might those play? And again, those are you know, still a few months away from, from becoming bigger issues, but how might that kind of play in similarly with this uh, QT quantitative tightening, the Treasury General account being refilled and taking liquidity out of the system? Will those have similar, again, add-on potentially effects where, again, it's just the enough of these things coming together and they just need a spark. Maybe that spark comes from something we're not, a, you know, know is coming, but the, the, the there'll be kindling out there waiting uh, for that spark. Is Will those impact that, do you think? Yeah. And you, you brought up another one on my list that I didn't touch on, the student loan repayment. So uh, loans haven't been having to be paid in three years. And now with the Supreme Court striking down the uh, uh, washing out the student debt, 
uh, unless the Biden administration is able to do something to stall that further, which I think they probably will. But as it stands right now in September, those payments will restart up. And the average student loan payment uh, for people that have that type of debt is $380 a month. So that's going out of whatever you were going to spend that on going out to eat or buying the new iPhone or whatever it is. And it's going into debt repayment. So again, that's kind of the death by a thousand cuts. You know, you bring up a good point there, but I think it's all about jobs going forward. If the bear case really does play out, it's going to require there to be some, some, unfortunately some, some pain, you know, at the, at the household level, which is going to start with, with, with job uh, jobs becoming uh, layoffs becoming more common. Uh, one thing that we've looked at on the bear case is um, lending standards. So if you look at the, um, uh, the uh, it's called the SLUs, it's the um, Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey. Um, it, it measures tightening in credit at the bank level, and it has a, a strong correlation with, with unemployment. Um, and right now we've seen, again, those two kind of diverge, like so many other metrics that typically have high correlation where lending standards have gotten much tighter, but the employment picture hasn't shown any cracks yet. So I think it, it really has to do with the, the employment uh, overall picture. If that starts to um, weaken substantially, uh, then you know what's going to happen is that all that excess savings that you know, people have is, is going to be spent down. Then you're in a situation where you have to kind of tighten your bootstraps. Companies will no longer be able to support price increases at the top line. That flows through to earnings and with margins getting tighter by the day. And there you go. You know, that's where you get the adjustments and earnings, um, which we've already been seeing uh, so far. So if you look at 2023 earnings for the S&P uh, last summer, so this time last year, they were at $245, and now they're at 220 So they're down 12% year over year, um, but that could have more to go if we see weakness in the job market. So definitely looking at that closely in the next six months. All right, so lots to keep our eyes on, and I think the, the conversation today really highlights the kind of our shared philosophy, uh, Conversion Aptis, of you know uh, pairing a good offense with a good defense, and that while um, you know, there's enough bear case out there to, to believe that this could or should already be happening. You know, the, the, I can't remember if it's a Buffett thing or some other saying, but, you know, the markets can um, go, go up longer than you can stay solvent or be irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And so even though it doesn't seem necessarily rational, given all the other data out there, markets potentially are going to, you know, could keep going up. So we want to you know, make sure we have offense on the field. But you know, we need to have the defenders there as well, that if all of the, the culmination of all these other data points together do come to fruition, that we're not, you know, kept, you know caught off sides and, and aren't prepared for, for what might come. Yeah. Well, one thing we were talking about yesterday is that the very definition of volatility is that it's, it's un, unexpected. Otherwise, you'd be prepared for it and it wouldn't create volatility. So I think you're exactly right in terms of portfolio construction. I think what we're doing differently is that we're embedding that as part of a core holding in portfolios, uh, making you prepared for things that you otherwise can't can't time. Um, if you could, you would you wouldn't be investing. I mean, you'd be investing your own money and, and a lot of other people's. Point being, it really can't be done. That's why we embed that in a portfolio, but still have upside drivers that can participate in years like like this. Yeah, yeah. We can't predict the future, but we can prepare uh, for what might come. So, Joseph, thank you. Appreciate your time, uh, Ryan. Any. Any uh, words from you as we uh, let Joseph go for the day? 
Yeah, no, appreciate you, Joseph, and, and your insight into the matter. Uh, Homer, look, we've covered a lot today. Uh, obviously, there is some interesting things on the horizon that we're going to keep our eye on. But for anybody out there, Homer, that would benefit from a conversation, maybe let's say with you and your team, just to talk about where their portfolio might sit and how it could be impacted in, in the months to come, what would be the best way they can get in touch with you guys? Yeah, we'd love to have them reach out you know, uh, to us uh, through the website. You can email us directly, and we'll have that up on the screen here. But, uh, you know, Really what our job for our clients to do is you know, when we first meet with a client in all areas of their financial world is to you know, take an overall big picture view of it, um, identify if there's any gaps or opportunities and present you with the options along with the pros and cons. And then we're very confident you can make a smart decision on where to where to take that from there. So related to your portfolio, um, we're assuming, you know, you probably had a good year um, in the market if you've been very market oriented in your portfolio and aggressive. Um, might be worth a second look on, okay, what should we be doing and thinking about now? And that, you know, if we're getting near the end of this of this uh, run up and uh, that we've seen this year, what are some things you can do in your portfolio to add some defense in and, and protect from you know, potential uh, declines from here? So again, we're not predicting that, but again, if, if it were to come, are you prepared for that? So we'd love to you know, have a second pair of eyes in your portfolio and, and give you some thoughts on that. Fantastic. Well, Homer and Joseph, appreciate you guys both for carving some time out of your day to jump on and dive into, of course, you know, the past quarter and then obviously looking forward. Uh, we'll let you guys get back to serving your clients and doing what you do best, but I uh, appreciate you both. And Joseph, maybe we'll have to have you back on down the road to, to dive into another market update. Yeah, would love to. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Joseph. Yeah. Thanks, of course, of course. And hey, look, folks, we're going to take one final moment, as we always do, and thank you for stopping by and spending some time with us on the show today. If you did take anything away from today's discussion on the market update and you benefited from the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whichever platform you checked us out on today. That way you never miss out on a future episode where Homer, myself, maybe one of our esteemed guests, we dive into these different wealth management topics so that you and yours can come out with some value on the other end. Before Homer and Joseph, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you stopping by and being with us on Advance Your Wealth. All opinions expressed by Homer Smith are solely Smith's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Integrated Wealth Concepts, LLC, Integrated, or its parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated by Smith on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Smith as a specific inducement to make particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Smith's opinions are based on information he considers reliable, but neither integrated nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. Smith, integrated, its affiliates and or subsidiaries are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided. Smith's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Neither Smith nor integrated guarantees any specific outcome or profit. You should be aware of the real risk of loss in following any strategy or investment discussed by Smith or anyone else. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than invested. Investments or strategies mentioned on this website or in the show may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. You must make an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned by Smith. Before acting on information you hear, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Investment advice offered through Integrated Financial Partners, a registered investment advisor. Integrated Financial Partners provides investment advisory services through several doing business as names. The information in this material is for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. 
Integrated Financial Partners does not provide legal, tax, mortgage advice, or services. Integrated Partners and Convergent Wealth Partners are separate entities from Aptis Capital Advisors.